Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Max Wilson back on the show. We had Max already on this spring. We were talking Fox River walleyes and uh, recently caught up with Max over the phone for this one, which uh, you know is very fitting for this time of year. And I'm talking about one of Max's all-time specialties. If you're familiar with who Max is and, and some of the things that he's done recently in his career, uh, this is one of the most in-depth conversations and, and most anticipated conversations I've ever had with Max, and that is how he pairs up his forward sonar and everything that he knows. And he, I mean, he's just a guru. You know, his whole strategy with forward sonar and finding fish and breaking down water uh, and finding the right fish and then how he rigs up and his whole strategy behind the slip bobber presentations and bringing it all together, packaging it all together, forward sonar and slip bobbers and everything that he can do with that because he has done some really, really cool things, tournament angling the last couple of years and uh, so many of you that follow Max are familiar with a lot of the things that he's done, but this is a you know this is a 45 minute conversation that just goes super in depth with all this stuff. And yeah, again, I just uh, anytime I get a chance uh, for to get uh, you know Max's time, I really appreciate it. So while he's driving down the road, we talk to him. Great conversation. Forward sonar slip bobbers with Max Wilson. This episode of the JMO podcast is brought to you by the North Dakota Game and Fish Department. In the 2023 fishing season, the state of North Dakota is putting on the 2023 Sport Fish Challenge. Now, the process is simple. You're going to catch a variety of fish, take pictures of them, submit those pictures. If you do it all over the course of the season, you're going to win some cool prizes. For full challenge details, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov backslash fish hyphen challenge. Devil's Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. Um, We had you on this spring. We talked about the Fox River. Awesome episode. Um, You know, tournament tournament uh, schedule is underway if anybody wants updates on that head over to max wilson's social media you're going to find out how the season is going um you know that being said we've got a lot of ground to cover in this conversation so we're not going to stray we're not going to get off into the weeds on anything other than what we're going to talk about today and i'm really excited about this because it's going to be a great show an anticipated show with max wilson um you know i talked to you about this we're going to do this show on forward sonar. You're a forward sonar guru and not to mention one of your uh, kind of a, a, a presentation, um, you know, a strategy, however you want to call it, this package deal that you have showcased utilizing forward sonar, everything that you've learned with that over the last couple of years and your the, the techniques of uh, using a slip bobber, using a bobber. And that's a pretty broad general statement. There's a lot of uh, uh, that can, we can go on uh, that is under the uh, you know under the category of bobber fishing. Uh, but that being said, this show is all about you and all about how you utilize forward sonar and a bobber presentation. And I want to just put that on you. I just want to lay that on you and just see where you start with this conversation and uh, we'll figure out where it ends. So tell me about that. Update me with... Uh, you yourself and your thoughts and your strategy with forward sonar and slip bobbers. Yeah, you know, forward sonar, it, it, it's the forefront of who I am as an angler. You know, it's 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 my favorite way to fish. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to be one of the first guys that was really utilizing in the walleye world. You know, it's, uh, you know, by no means was I the first ever to, to, to do it. Um, but, you know, I was, you know, my partner and I, we kind of discovered how just effective forward-facing sonar was in uh, 2019, and nobody was really using it. And what was great was that first year, uh, and we just we lit the world on fire because we were fishing for known fish. I mean, it was it, it was fantastic. And ever since then, it's been you know the amount I've learned about fish using forward-facing sonar is insane. I mean, I've learned more in the last three years than I have in the first eight years that I, you know, was walleye fishing. And, you know, that when I started playing with that bobber program, um, when I first started developing it for myself, 
it, it, it really opened a lot of doors. That was the missing link that uh, I was looking for in how to, how to catch these fish. Uh, you know, I, I, w- I remember when I first tried it, I was fishing uh, the Graha uh, out on Lake Bukegama. And those are some of the most stubborn, difficult fish to catch uh, on Lake Bukegama just because they're so finicky and so, like, um, just stubborn. You know, they, you know, a lot of times with walleyes, you got to, you got to, you know, you, if you hit them in the face a bunch of times, you know, you, you power fish them, drop it in their face, you know, you can trigger reactionary strikes. Well, Pacagama walleyes, they're just a different breed. They're very finicky. They're very um, hesitant. They're spooked easy. Pressure gets to them. Um, and so I started noticing that the only way I could get these fish to eat was I had to hover the bait right in their face for two, three minutes before I finally got these fish to eat. You know, they'd sit there and they'd, they'd swim around. I swear to God, that leech was tickling their nose. And I, I was trying to think of like, how in the heck can I sit here and, and, and keep this bait perfectly still in their face? But the other problem I was running into was the fish were spooking from the boat, especially in clear water. If they were suspended, you know, it was just, it was just difficult to catch these stupid things. So finally one day I was like, well, why don't I just use a slip bobber? You know, and you know, slip bobber fishing, I grew up slip bobber fishing. Normally it was, uh, you know, in the state of Wisconsin, it was, you know, cast it out as an extra rod, you know, and just, just watch, you know, watch the, you know, all of a sudden you look up and the bobber was gone. You know, you're like, Oh shoot, I got a fish. Or in the state of Minnesota, it's really difficult to bobber fish. I mean, it's very popular. A lot of people do it, but they just sit there and just stare at the bobber. They don't, you know, they don't sit there and they, you know, they don't cast that individual fish. Well, there was a technique that, you know, I learned from watching guys, um, fish in the Ains series in Minnesota. Uh, especially on the lax, it's called power corking. And what they do is they drive around out on the mud flats with their 2D sonar and they drive over fish. They immediately mark fish. You know, they, they drive over the fish, they'd see it and they immediately drop the bobbers back to that fish. And, you know, they drop it right where that cone angle w- was at, where they thought that fish was. And they'd sit there, they'd give that fish two, three minutes. If, if the fish bit, awesome. If not, they'd move on to the next fish. And they were just cycling fish and, and hitting these fish as much as possible. So I started thinking, I'm like, okay, well, why don't I just try that with, with live sonar and just drop it in their face, you know? So I started playing with it and, you know, we caught a couple fish doing it. I was like, okay, cool. This is going to be our program for the tournament. Well, Joe and I went into that tournament and we got our butts absolutely kicked. We ended up catching one fish all day. Well, the rest of the year went on. I, I had that one rod with the slip bobber still tied up in that Graha tournament. And the following year, I was uh, actually heading to the uh, Mille Lacs for the head-to-head event, and I had that rod tied on. And Mille Lacs is like my all-time favorite lake, and I, I feel pretty confident to be able to catch fish on Mille Lacs, especially when you know it, when it was in its heyday for uh, for numbers. And you know, I was pre-fishing no light bait, everything. I'm, I'm trying all these techniques, and I was getting my butt kicked, and I was I was so upset. Um, that I wasn't catching fish. I remember texting my buddies. I'm like, dude, I, I like, I'm, I'm about to sell all my stuff and quit fishing. I can't catch a fish on Lake Malax right now. And it was like 11 o'clock and I was out in the mud flats and I was trying to pitch these jig wraps at these fish and they're just spooking really bad. And so I had, I had this slip bobber and I had some fake leeches and I was like, okay, well, why don't I try, you know, slip bobber room? Just kind of like whatever, I'll give it a try. Cause I saw this rod that was still rigged up from over a year ago. And, uh, I picked up the rod, I flipped at the fish and within 30 seconds, I had a six pounder. And then I took another cast at the next fish that one immediately bit it. And then I took a third cast and I'm like, Oh my God, I just figured something out. And from there it started to spawn into my favorite and most effective technique, especially in like the state of Minnesota, North Dakota, stuff like that, where these fish are live bait driven and you know, they're, they're, you know, whatever, suspended fish, especially these midsummer fish where they're starting to get up off bottom, stuff like that. The great thing with this bobber program is there isn't a fish that I can't catch with it because all it's allowing me to do, the, the biggest thing is it's just allowing me to suspend my bait where I need to suspend it, right? So you, you get you get fish that are two feet below the surface. Well, I can set my bobber two feet below the surface and I don't have to drive my boat over 
You know, a lot of times with those high suspended fish, they'd spook it out of there. Well, the other great thing with these fish, these high sus- suspended fish are generally fish that are going to eat. So if you're able to drop it in their face and hold it, it's just super effective. I can fish it in, in weeds. I can fish it in timber. I can fish it in, you know, open flats. I can fish it on rock piles. You can literally fish it on anything. And all it's allowing me to do is just put that bait exactly in that fish's face and hold it there. Because if the fish wants to eat, it'll follow it down and eat it, whatever, like a normal jig. But if that fish needs a little extra, you know, uh, you know, uh, incentive to eat or it needs extra time to decide if it wants to eat, that bobber allows perfectly for me to sit there, hold it in its face, that fish is on, I can twitch that bobber a little bit, do little minute adjustments, I can lift the bobber up, let it fall back down. You know, you can do so many different things with these bobbers. All it's allowing me to do is it's allowing me to get that bait away from the boat and not spook that fish. Well talk about your setup, you know, kind of top to bottom or multiple setups, how you like them in different situations. And maybe why, and maybe some of the some of the trials and tribulations you've been through to sort of come to the conclusion of how you what you like about your setup. And I'm talking your rod, your line, um, you know, you know how you weight this, you know, leader length, material, um, you know, jig type. I mean, a- any technical information that you're willing to share on this as far as the setup and why? Absolutely, and that that's something that I'm I'm very proud about and very particular about. Because, you know, everyone, you know, traditional thinking, right, when bobber fishing, you know, growing up, it was, oh, it's just an extra rod. I don't need a, I don't need a good, I don't need a good rod. I don't need, you know, I don't need something with a stiff back. Well, it's just like, whatever. The whippiest, bendiest, snoopiest rod you have is, it will work just fine for, for slip bobber fishing, right? That, that was my, my original, like, mindset with it. After a while, once I started like actually power, like power fishing with it, I realized I was the farthest thing from the truth. You know, when I first started doing this, especially on that Malax, everyone literally got to watch me learn how to bobber fish. You know, if you follow along that week, I, I was literally developing this program as the tournament was going. And it, it caused a lot of heartache in the beginning because I was losing a lot of fish. You know, I was flipping cabbage. I was basically bass fishing these things. I was flipping into little pockets and fishing, you know, individual fish. And, you know, there's, there's two different setups that I have for bobber fishing. There's an open water setup and then there's a, uh, structure setup I have. And they're two completely different setups. Um, you know, the first one I'll I'll talk about is when I'm, when I'm fishing, um, structure, right. Especially like cabbage or even heavy timber, stuff like that. Um, I, I've, I'm very, 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 very particular. And it's because you need something that will get that bait out of there. You know, a lot of times with the traditional slip bobber fishing, like I said, you forget about it. You set in the rod holder. By the time you, uh, by the time you get to the rod, that fish already has that bait sucked in all the way. It doesn't matter if you have a rod that's going to drive that hook home or whatever. With live scope fishing, I'm setting the hook as soon as that fish bites. So I need a rod that will drive that hook home first of all. So I want something that I, cause I'm jacking that hook set, you know? And so for me, the rod is, is super, super important. Originally I would use a, a light action rod, slow action, um, you know, just like a really underpowered rod and trying to rip them out of these, these weeds. I was getting overpowered. I lost a couple, a lot of fish cause I wasn't getting good hook sets. So what I did, I got so pissed off in the tournament that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the biggest, heaviest, meatiest rod I have. And I'm going to, I'm going to put the boots to them. And I call it my whooping stick. And what it is, it's a it's a seven three medium heavy extra fast from JT. And what's really nice about it is it's got a really fast uh, action tip, so it's got a little bit you know more of a bend on the on the front end. But then it's got a stout backbone. I mean, there it is just stout. I mean, it is a beast. And what I do with that is when if you watch in those head to heads, when I set the hook, I mean, I it was like a bass guy trying to rip a fish out of the mat. I'm setting the hook. And I'm, I'm cranking that fish out of the weeds as fast as possible. So you want a, a heavier action rod, right? So for mainline, you know, I like that little bit heavier. I like that 10, 10 to, or I'd say probably about 12 to 15 pounds because you have abrasion. And that's something I'm still working on, figuring out how to avoid it as much as I can. But when you're moving, you know, and I'm dragging the bait a lot, that line is rubbing up against the, the brass insert of the bobber and it'll fray your line. So you need something a little bit heavier because you're setting the hook hard. So when you set that hook hard, you want to 
you know, you don't want to snap your line any weak points or whatever. You want something heavy duty, strong. Um, so that's where I like that, that 12 to 15 pound braid. I'll even go up to 20 if I'm fishing wood, stuff like that. Um, and then from there, the bobber is very important. Uh, you want something that has a, has a brass insert in it because you want that, you want that line to be flowing through that bobber nicely. Right. So you, you want that brass, that line to flow through. If you have one without a brass insert and it's just a small little opening in that, in that bobber, the line's not going to flow through it freely. You're going to have problems with the, um, you know, with, with the bait actually going down when the bobber hits, hits there. The whole thing with this program, you're quick hitting these fish. So you want to drop down on it quick, right? So you want that line flowing freely. From there, I run, uh, through the, through the uh, bobber, I run a bead. And the bead, what it does is it avoids, it helps uh, avoid fraying, right? Fraying from the bottom of the bobber to where you then have your weight. So you, you have that kind of a, of a spacer almost. Then from there, I like a tungsten bullet weight to get more weight to drop down. So I have that, uh, uh, you know, like an eighth ounce a lot of times is what I like. For bobbers, uh, I forgot to mention, I like, you know, it depends on how deep I'm fishing and what I'm throwing. But if I'm fishing, you know, like shallow, uh, you know, that less than 12 feet, I like like a quarter ounce, uh, a quarter ounce bobber. So when I'm using my weight, I want to make sure my weight doesn't, uh, uh, isn't heavier than my bobber because otherwise you're just going to drop your bobber all the time. So that's where you want, you know, your, uh, you know, quarter ounce bobber. Then you want to go down to your eighth ounce for, you know, maybe three sixteenth ounce light, uh, uh, light tungsten bobber enough to get it to punch down. Then from there, I run another, uh, bead because that bead then allows it to, uh, you know, you're having abrasion resistance. You're just keeping it away from, uh, you're keeping it away from, uh, the weight and the, the then swivel to attach your, your fluorocarbon leader. So you want that spacer again. So the spacing is also very important. Then from there, I tie on a barrel swivel and then I run, uh, you know, I'd say 12 to 18 inch leader. You don't want a super long leader in, in cabbage because you don't, you don't want a lot of stuff floating down. You want a tight, compact, dropping down on hitting those fish. So that's where you go to a more, you know, 12 to 18 inch fluorocarbon leader. And then I try and I, on the leader, I try and stay as light as I can because I don't want as big of a profile, but you also want heavy enough to where you can rip through that stuff. So that's where that 10 to 12 pound fluorocarbon really comes in handy because a lot, I've snapped a lot of fish off on the hook set before. And so you really have to keep that stuff in mind. So you, you get in that, you know, in that 10 to 12 pound fluorocarbon. And then the most important thing, open water and, you know, in both open water and in uh, uh, structure is the hook, uh, you know, the type of hook. So I like, and I found the most effective hook for bobber fishing is a sickle style hook. Sickle style, is it sits horizontally, you know, and it's got that little kind of, uh, I don't know, like jagged bend to it. And what's nice with that, when you have a bait that's sitting horizontally instead of vertically, think about how a fish feeds, right? Especially on a slip bobber. More times than not, a fish starts working up towards the bait. So when it starts working up, that fish is coming from the bottom. So if you have a hook that's sitting vertically, think about the hook angle, right? So when you set the hook with a vertical sitting hook, you're not getting good penetration. The angle that it's going into that mouth, you're not getting as good a penetration as possible. You get a bait that sits horizontally instead of vertically. It, when you set the hook straight up, because I'm setting straight up, so I'm pulling that bait up, not to the side. When I set up, that bait is going right to the roof of that fish's mouth. So if you get a good hook set with the right rod, right line, right hook, getting, you know, 95% of the time, when I set the hook right away, that bait's going right to the roof of that fish's mouth, the hardest spot, you're at like a 95% catch rate. If you don't have the right rod, you don't have the right lure, you're not getting the best penetration, that's when you're starting to lose fish. And that's what everyone saw in that head-to-head was I was losing fish like freaking crazy, and it was driving me nuts. Once I dialed that in, I rarely lose fish. The only fish I really lose anymore is if I, I snap them off on the hook set because I, I get too excited on the hook set. Um, and then off of that, when I go into open water, it's a little bit different for me. I, you know, I, I still have the same concept. Um, but the, as far as the rod, 
I, you know, you have more room to get finessed with things, you know, because there's not things you have to worry about them getting hung up on or, or tangled in. So that's when I'll go more into, um, JT makes a really great rod. Uh, it's called a, it's called the snare rod. It's an open water spinning snare. And that's, that's an awesome bobber rod for open water for a few different reasons. One, if I'm fishing, cause I'm always fishing into the wind, right? Cause that's the best way you have, uh, bait control, rod control, all sorts of control. But when I'm fishing into the wind, I want something to be able where I can just fling that bobber far with that, with that medium heavy, you kind of really got to put a lot of action into the cast. And that's where you get a lot of tangling, stuff like that. If you overcast on a, on a bobber with this nine, two snare, it's just like a little flick of a wrist. And I'm able to fling that bait through the wind really, really well. It cuts the air really good. And you can send that bobber a country mile into the, even the strongest wind. Cause if you're just casting a little foam bobber, it can be cat, tough casting into wind. Um, and then the other, uh, the other reason for it is too, is especially like Pacagma is a great example. You get some big fish out in that open water. I set the hook on that rod. The, the whole thing about a, with the snare rod, it's just like their, their ice fishing snare, is it's a half fiberglass, half carbon rod. So the front half of the rod is fiberglass. And that's where you get that bendiness, you know, stuff to where that rod is able to fold, you know, that give on the rod. The carbon is the backbone of the rod is where you're getting the hook set. So you can set the hook, reel into it, get that good hook set, and then let that fish just go on whatever runs you want and just let it play itself out. So I can let those fish swim around, be like, okay, throw your hissy fit, do what you need to do, then I'm going to get you in, right? So that's, that's where that snare rod is, the ultimate open water bobber rod for me. That's, it, it's the do-it-all, just great overall rod. If I'm, you know, when I'm fishing that open water, I like to go a little bit more finesse because I don't have to set the hook quite as hard. I more It's more of a lean into the hook set with that rod. So then I'll go a little bit lighter line. I want the smallest diameter as possible. So I'll go down to like an eight to a 10 pound main line. And then if I'm generally when I'm fishing that open water, I'll fish a little bit deeper. So I'm, I go to more ounce, uh, uh, bobber. And then, or if I'm fishing even deeper, I'll go to a half ouncer. That way it allows me, if I'm fishing 50 feet of water, I can put on a heavier weight and get down to those fish faster. Um, you know, so then I go, I, the same, the same setup with the beads and the, and the, uh, uh, the, the tungsten bullet weight, you know, a lot of times I'll go to, when if I'm in that deeper water, you know, I'll, I'll go a little bit heavier. I try and match whatever my bobber weight is. So I'll, you know, I take the, you add the jig weight and you add the, the tungsten weight to match whatever you're, you're fishing with. So I'll add like a quarter ounce weight for the little bit deeper water. Then from there I'll go. Uh, to my fluorocarbon leader, that's where I start to play with things. You know, if I get in a, a situation where, like, for example, last year, Pacagama, again, I came back to my nemesis. And I was all week fishing Pacagama. I was catching some fish, but the thing with Pacagama, it always starts out really hot early in, and then as the week, and those fish get caught, and they get pressured, and they shut down, and they get really tough to catch. Well, what I started doing was I started Anytime you get into anywhere where there's pressured fish, finicky fish, stuff like that, you have to lengthen, lengthen your leads because you want to get it as far away from the line, leader, uh, you know, your weight as possible so those fish don't see it. And uh, then the other thing is I'll drop down my, my line diameter. You know, I was struggling catching fish. I was using eight-pound fluorocarbon all week, catching some fish, but not as good. It was getting tougher. And I, I was thinking about it the night before the tournament, and also I was like, well, I'll just change the, you know, drop the line diameter down. So that's what I, I learned that from, you know, the guys that taught me how to fish in Minnesota, like the Joe Brickos, Dylan Mackeys, those guys that are, you know, experts in, in Minnesota and, and just, you know, win damn near every tournament. Those, you know, I learned from a lot of those guys and a lot of old timers taught me that when fish get finicky, drop your, drop your line diameter down, go to lighter line. You're going to have to play the fish a little bit more, but you're going to get more bites out of that. So I started going to longer leads. You know, I'll go to really, really long lead, get away from it. As long as you can drop down to six-pound test. And I had one of my best days of fishing ever on Pacagma. And it was funny because my partner, Isaac, he was running eight-pound to start. I was running six. And uh, I was out fishing him, like three to one. And finally, he switched over to that six-pound, and he started catching at the same rate. So on days where it got tough, the only difference between catching fish and not catching fish was a two-pound line 
line uh, change. You know, and then when I'm in that open water, I'm using that same style sickle hook. Um, and then the cool thing with it is too, it everyone thinks like, oh, you just have to use the leech. You know, the the cool great thing is I can use literally any type of live bait on that that I I could think of. You know, I've used crawlers, minnows, everything. Heck, I've even used jigging rafts on bobbers to where you know you get a giant, oversized, almost musky style bobber. Those fish want it, want that jigging rod vertically jigged on those really flat, calm, lame days. You you put that on the bobber, you can cast it out, hang that over the fish, and you know kind of pop the bobber a little bit to work that jigging wrap. You get I've gotten bit doing that also. So it allows you to fish these fish over open water and be as finesse as you need to be without spooking those fish. Every opportunity that we have to go out on the water fishing is a chance to make a memory. It's a chance to learn and grow as an angler. Ultimately, these are our fishing adventures. Now, if you want to take your fishing adventures to the next level, in 2023, the state of North Dakota is putting on the 2023 Sport Fish Challenge. Now, the process to complete this challenge is simple. You catch a bluegill, a walleye, a bass, and a trout take pictures of each of those species and submit the entry to the North Dakota Game and Fish website. The link is in the description. Anglers that complete the challenge will receive a decal that they can proudly display, which obviously would look excellent on a cooler or a tackle box or a water bottle, anywhere that people can see it and you can brag about it. For full challenge details, again, visit the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov backslash fish hyphen challenge. Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. We talk about the fishing all the time on this show, but to find out what the lake and the community has to offer, which is way more than we ever talk about on this show, you can head to devilslakend.com and get all that. We're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community. There's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of Devil's Lake. Also, our favorite, the fishing tab. It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at devilslakend.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. When you pick out a spot and you go looking through a spot, like what's kind of your process? How do you position the boat so that, you know, you're ready and and how much time do you spend working through scanning for fish and when you find fish like, you know, getting the boat ready and getting your gear ready because we're talking slip bobbers here, it could be a depth change. Like when you make that first cast, and your bobber is set at, you know, 10 feet, but you see a fish at 15 feet. Like, what's your process look like before you make that first couple of good casts? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, I always, I always, always, always work into the wind. I, even in the strongest winds, I have to work into the wind just for boat control. Because the biggest thing is, you don't want, if you're drifting with the wind, you don't, you don't give that fish time. By the time you see that fish and pitch at it, the boat's already drifting over and you're spooking that fish. So for me, it's, you know, it's, I'm working into the wind, right? And the, the biggest thing people struggle with with slip bobber fishing is the cast. And it's funny because you would think that wouldn't be the most difficult thing in the world, but like in all my guide trips, that's the one that my clients struggle with the most. And it's because two different things, a casting in the wind, having the right enough power to a drop it on a dime. Cause you have, you have to be accurate. It's not, if you're off by an inch, you're off by a mile type of deal with, with this program. And so for me, the, the biggest thing I, I teach people with, with, you know, the cast is these fish are terrified of what I call the plop, right? So the worst possible thing you can do, especially if you're fishing shallow uh, or really clear, clean water, is drop that bait right on that fish's head on that initial cast. Because what happens is you have this big old freaking hunk of float that it hits the water and you hear a sploosh and those fish hear that and they scatter it it spooks them every time and so what i have to do is i cast past them and i'll reel back to them right well the the other problem people have is when they cast they just let that bobber go go through the air 
all willy-nilly. And when it lands, what happens is that bobber's going through the air first, and then followed behind it is the weight, and then the hook. Well, when the bobber hits the water, it immediately pulls down that weight and that jig right on top of it. And what happens is you get tangled. Your bobber gets all tangled. If you're running a long enough lead, you'll have, you know, a lot of times you get a rat's nest on your lead or whatever. And so it just creates a mess. So what I, like, what I per, kind of perfected is the laydown of, of the, of the actual bobber. And that, you know, it, it seems so small and trivial, but it's probably the most important part of my cast because for me, you know, A, you don't want to cast off your leads or cast off your, your, you know, your, whatever your bait is. Um, and, you just want to cast out there. It's a side flip that I do. So it's like a little side flip. And what I'm doing as I, as I cast, I'm letting that line roll off the tip of my, my pointer finger, right? So I'm keeping that line, my finger right by the line. And what I'll do is I'll start to slowly put the brakes on right as I'm, I'm getting that bait to where I want to be. I'll cast 5, 10, 15 feet past where that fish is, and I'll, I'll slowly start to put the brakes down, brakes on and what happens there, it's just, I mean, it's, it's physics. You, you, you start to put resistance against the line. It slows down that bobber. And what it does is it flip-flops the bobber and the, and the bait in position. So instead of the bobber hitting and then the bait hitting, it's you lay down the bobber and the, and the bait. You, like, set it down gently, right? And you set it down in a straight line, and you, like, lay it down. So you're not going to have a tangle, uh, you know, and you're not going to splash the water. If you do have a splash... You know, it's far enough away from that fish. And then what I do is I reel it, I reel that bait back to where right directly ab- above that fish. And then I let it coast down into that fish. Um, you know, so that, that's the like biggest, most important part for me is, is that perfecting that cast. Um, and then on top of that, it, it's funny. It depends on the mood of the fish, right? So one of the funnier stories I have from when I first was, was working on this program and, and learning it was I was on, it was during practice for that head-to-head. I'll never forget it because I, I was out in the mud flats when I first started doing it. I ran back to shore. I went in uh, to get more of those fake leeches I was using. And when I relaunched, I came back out and I came over a shallow sand flat. And I looked down and I see a seven-pound walleye swim off. And I was like, what the heck? So I started fishing that sh- shallow sand flat. And I was sight fishing these walleye. So I was able to physically watch how these fish were reacting. And how to, you know, their exact moods towards the bait. Well, then I spent the rest of the day fishing the rest of the lake with that just program. And uh, when I when I was out, I was out on one of the mud flats. It was prime time, so the fish was as active. You know, it was an active feeding fish. I casted at this fish. I was I was set for uh, I was about four or five feet up off bottom, and we were in eighteen feet of water. And so I was I was well, actually we were in like twenty something. So I was set for like eighteen feet down, seventeen feet down. And I was, I was going, wasn't really paying attention to the depth because a lot of times I don't really pay attention to depth. I just kind of look at the screen, see fish, cast a fish, catch a fish. Well, I'm going and all of a sudden I see, uh, I see a fish on bottom. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, I cast at it and as it's dropping, all of a sudden I'm real, I realize I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm in 34 feet of water right now. And I was set for 18 feet. Well, I was like, well, whatever. I'll see, you know, to see what happens. I hit, I hit the bobber stop. I was, like 16 feet above this fish or something like that. This fish, the water was so clear. That fish turned up, saw my bait, went straight vertical. I watched it on live scope, went straight vertical and just swam directly up 16 feet and instantly bit my bait. So a lot of times you don't have to be right on the fish, but the other, the other cool part that I've learned with this is people always think that, you know, you have to fish above the fish, right? You, you know, slip bobbers, suspend above them, they'll come up, they'll eat it. Well, yeah, that's that's good thinking if those fish are actively feeding. But I'm not, oh, I don't always have the luxury of, of fishing active fish. You know, there's a lot of times in a tournament where my fish are inactive. They don't really want to eat. I got to trigger that bite, you know. So what I'll do is I usually generally see where those fish are, right? And yeah, you have fish all over the water column a lot of times, but you'll see, you know, generally they're mid-water column. So I'll try and keep that bait within five to 10 feet of that, of that actual fish or, you know, where the fish are generally sitting. And when I see a fish, say I, you know, say I'm set for uh, 15 feet and I see a fish at 10 feet. I, I don't really reel up and readjust my bobber. What I do is I make my cast. 
I swing my bait into that fish's face and I let it drop right by its face. And when, you know, what happens is I trigger that, that feeding reaction from that fish. You know, it, it's just like you or I, you, you know, when you're feeling lazy, you could eat, but you don't really want to put a lot of effort in, but you drop a, you know, for me, you drop a Reese's peanut butter cup in front of my face. I'm probably going to follow that and try oh, and yeah. eat that. Oh yeah. So yeah. So I do that. I do that with fish. I'll drop it right by their face. I'll trigger that feeding reaction from that fish. And then that fish, I'll walk that fish down to my bobber stop. And what happens is you have the, you have the tungsten weight falling first, and then you have your bait fall, falling behind it, right? So that weight hits, hits the bobber stop. You have the tungsten weight that's at a rest. You have the bait that's penduling, falling down. Then you have that walleye that's coming. They always, walleyes, when they feed, they do what I call the feeding dance. They circle the bait. They'll, they'll come from up above. They'll go down below and they feed coming up. So what that fish will do, you'll hit, you know, you'll hit that, you'll hit that, uh, you know, the bobber stop. The weight comes to a stop. That bait's falling. That walleye is already down at the bottom part of its stroke, and that walleye is coming up and it's meeting that bait right as that bait's coming to a rest. And a lot of times, you'll hit hit it right away, or that walleye will come up right as that bait's coming to a flat rest, and you'll just sit there right on it and watch it. And it's usually about. 10 seconds feels like 10 years when, when you're watching it on live scope, but then that fish eats. So a lot of times, you know, that fish at 10 feet, if I would have put that bait at eight feet, it might not have wanted to eat. If it was active, yeah, it'll come up and eat it. But if it doesn't want to eat, then you got to make that thing. And that's, that's the best way to, best way to do it. Oh my gosh, man. I think that is super awesome. I love that. It, it, it just, it kind of, it opens up so much for me as an angler thinking about, probably for lots of presentations, you know, just paying attention to, you know, falling past that fish. Um, I think that is, I think that is excellent information, but you know, to even dive deeper into your process, because the, the other thing, the other big topic, you know, back, back up a second, the big topic of conversation around learning forward sonar and, you know, bobber fishing time management is a big question. And it's different for everybody in every situation, I imagine. But for you, when you're cruising along and you feel like you're making some quality casts at this fish, or you're putting in the work on the on this these fish, whatever whatever lake you're fishing, whatever whatever's going on, like how much time do you spend working a fish? How much time do you spend in an area looking for fish before you decide to go try a different pattern or whatever? I mean, talk a little bit about your time management and, um, you know, as it pertains to each cast you make throughout the day. You know, that, that was something that took a long time to develop. And that's the downfall of a lot of people when it comes to board facing sonar. You, know, you get a lot of people that, you know, they get frustrated. They want to, you know, they want to catch that fish. You know, I, I've done it. I've, you know, I've seen a lot of my buddies do it. Um, but the, the thing I learned early on is there is a fish eating somewhere. And if that fish you're, you're fishing at, unless it's, you know, one of those fish to where it's, you know, you need, you need one big over and, and you can tell like that's, that's the fish right there. I'll put some extra time in on that fish. But for me, generally when I'm, I, I, the, the biggest thing about five scope is it's a numbers game, right? I'm hitting as many fish as possible because in my mind, if I casted a hundred fish in a day, the odds of, cause I only need five fish in a tournament. The odds of getting five fish out of a hundred are pretty good, right? Whereas if I only cast a 20 fish in a day, my odds go down, right? So I want to keep my odds as high as possible. So in my mind, I give a fish three good casts. If I make three good casts and I, cause I always determine early in practice, you know, the first couple days I determine, okay, what techniques are they, are they eating? I have, five techniques that I do when I'm live scoping, right? I have a feeding, I have a finesse feeding, I have a reaction, a finesse reaction, I have a moving program. Like I have all different programs and, and type of baits that I throw. If I can't get them to react to any of those, I'll, I'll narrow it down. I'll say, okay, they're either eating slip bobbers and death jigs or they're eating jigging wraps and jigging a minnow. Okay, I'll, I'll see a fish. I'll make three good casts and, and you know, if, if I'll get like a reaction on them on one, like I'll, I'll throw like a reaction style, a reaction style bait at him. He doesn't really do anything. Okay, I'll throw a finesse bait at him. If he doesn't do anything, and I and when I say a good cast, I mean I'm dropping it on his nose. I'm dropping it past him, triggering him, trying to get some sort of reaction. If I don't get a reaction out of him and he doesn't really show interest and show like 
okay, I'm close and I just need to tweak this a little bit to get him to bite, I say, okay, I'm going to move on next fish. Um, and that's the biggest thing because, yeah, there's, there's times where I've looked at fish that could win me the tournament if I caught it, but there's just, there's fish out there that just don't want to eat that day, you know? And so there's a fish biting somewhere. So I only, I'll three to five casts, five at most. If it doesn't eat, okay, you know what? I'm going to keep moving on. I'm going to find a fish that will bite eventually. If I have an area where those fish are there, but they're not eating, I'll leave it and I might come back and check it again. But for me, it's just covering as much water because the more water you cover, the more fish you're going to see, the more fish you cast at, the more bites you're going to get at it in a day. So it's just hitting as many as you can, as fast as you can to cycle through as many opportunities. To round this out, because we don't have a ton of ton of time left, I, you know, we'll, we'll, well, we'll, co- we'll, we'll cover this till it's done, but... Um, you know, to kind of round this out, I want to kind of talk a little, get more so in your head a little bit and talk about the confidence thing. You know, you, you reference a tougher bite based on pressure and conditions up on Pokegama, uh, you know, uh, the Graha tournament, super competitive tournament, super cool lake. That's fun. If anybody's not familiar with that, it'd be, you know, look that up. That's a really, really cool tournament. Northern Minnesota, a ton of great sticks fish that, and, and that it's really, really cool. Um, you know, and the, and you reference that Malax bite where you really kind of learned and developed, you know, talk a little bit about, or uh, maybe it's just a reminder of like, this is the type of learning, like if you're learning these types of, of skills and abilities and you're kind of learning forward sonar at the same time, you're kind of learning slip bobber, you know, slip bobbering in this way and casting and stuff like just how important it was for you to be on a good lake with a good bite. You know, you talk about Malax and you really learned a lot just because, you know, largely because that's just a good lake that has a lot of fish in it. You know, it's pretty nuancey. And you're, they're not—they don't just bite for everybody every day, but you know th- this is definitely um, you know the kind of skills and abilities that we, you should learn when things are going really good, just to build confidence. Talk about how important that was for you. You know, it, for me, like, like I've always said, you know, I'm a comparative learner. So when I go to these new places, I, you know, a, a good example was. Uh, first time I fished the Missouri River, uh, Francis Case. We were there for an NWT in 2021. That was my first time there. And, you know, I didn't know anything about it. I'd never been there, whatever. Well, I'm the type of person I've always been that way is I'll look at something and I'll be like, oh, this reminds me of, you know, like the conditions. I'll look at the conditions, the layout of the lake, you know, what I'm seeing on the graph. Oh, this reminds me of this time when I was on this other body of water. And I'll remember things that worked on that body of water, you know, or, you know, uh, Francis Case, we were there end of April. I'm looking at this. I'm like, this place reminds me a lot of the Fox River. And that's what I, you know, the last time you and I talked, you know, I was saying uh, the reason why I love the Fox River, it's a, it's a, it's a play. It's my training center, right? It's where I go to get confidence in things, right? And so I've done that, you know, throughout my career. People have always asked, Max, why do you fish so many tournaments every year? Why do you run yourself ragged? It's because I want to have as much information as I can. So when I do go to these bigger bodies of water, I have that, learn, you know, I can be competitive against the big dogs because, you know, I have that confidence and I have that ability where I'm not trying to learn a whole technique in the week I have the pre-fish. I have some, you know, background knowledge on it. Well, that's why I've always loved Malax so much because Malax was so chalk, it is so chalk full of fish. And before, you know, all the purge and the bait fish came back, it was downright easy to catch fish on Malax. And, you know, Malax was the, was the Fox River of Minnesota. You know, Malax made anybody look like a walleye pro for a long time. And that's why I love going there because I could go do whatever program I wanted to do and I could get better at it and I could catch fish with it. And that's why I love it so much because Malax, there's the majority of fish that are in there are walleyes. There's not, you know, like you go to Winnebago and Green Bay, you know, other places where you have catfish, you have carp, you know, you have a lot of random species that you got to, try and decipher, you know, Malax was awesome to learn live scope on because basically what I was seeing 95% of the time were walleye. So I could, you know, I could see, okay, that's a walleye and then I'll cast at it and I'll, I'll try something and I'll learn something about that, about that bite. Right. So that's where I really gathered my confidence because I was really able to perfect things there. You know, Malax itself is fun, but for me, I've always been the type where if I'm not getting better as a tournament angler, if I don't feel like I'm getting better, everything's always been tournament-based for me. 
I, that's why I don't really night fish for walleyes. I don't really do the late fall bite because for me, I know I'll never fish a national walleye tour event either at night or in November. You know, it's cool. I love catching fish, but it's just for me, the need to be the best. Like my goal has always been be the best walleye fisherman I can be. If that's the best in the world, great, but I just want to be the best. And so anytime I'm doing anything, my whole mindset is just get better, right? And get better where I can utilize this in the future. And that's where, you know, when I started playing with that live scope, Malax was awesome because I, I could go, okay, I want to learn how to fish mid-lake structure. Guess what? Malax has mid-lake structure. Well, I want to go learn how to catch fish out in the basin. Well, guess what? Malax has basin fish. You know, they have wheat fish. They have rock fish. They have everything. You know? So I was able to go there and really get the confidence and catch a bunch of fish where, you know, generally easier, you know, because like I, like I talked to you the last time, you want to try a new technique, you don't go somewhere and learn a new technique where there's, you know, it's really hard to catch fish because you're not going to have confidence in that, in that program. You know, confidence is the biggest thing in anything you're throwing. As long as you have confidence in that, in that color, in that lure, it'll, it'll be successful. You know, generally how successful that remains to be seen. But as long as you have confidence in the bay and you're like, yep, I know this is going to work. You're going to, you'll do good. So that was for me was going there, going somewhere where it had a lot of fish, catch fish on that technique learn that technique, get confidence behind it. So when I go to places where like Pacagama or I go, you know, Cass Lake or other places or Leeds where it's a little tougher to catch fish and you really got to work for them and there might not be as much fish, you know, per square acre, you have that confidence to know, okay, I'm doing the right technique. I just got to stick with this until it works or, you know, I figure out the technique that'll work. Uh, then go somewhere where you're like, oh, wow, I tried this for four hours, never got a bite. Well, if you're not around fish, you're not going to get bit, you know, so that's for me with anything, any technique, any, anything. Live scope's giving me that confidence. Okay, I know there's fish there. I know what I'm looking for. I know what type of fish I'm looking for. Relax was nice because you could go through and you could look at all these different fish. There's so many different size classes, you know. I could look be like, yep, you catch enough fish, cast it enough fish. It's like, okay, yep, there's a 21-inch group. Uh, Isaac and I, when we won the uh, MWC on Leech Light, you know, there's a slot out there. We were cherry picking fish on the last day because it was, you know, we got to the point where like, okay, well, we have two 27s in the live. Well, I need, I need slots. What's the point of catching 22 to 24 inches? That's not going to do us any good. So we'd be driving around and be like, no, nope, too small, too small. Oh, too big, too big. Oh, right. Oh, that's, you know, that's perfect. Casted those fish. And that's, I mean, on day two, when we won, we had, we had two really good, you know, we had two decent slots. I saw two giant fish. I was like, okay, let's go catch those. We caught them, a seven and eight pounder. And then uh, we went a little bit further, a little bit further. Also, I saw a three pack of fish. And I was like, yep, those are under. Let's, let's catch those. And we had, uh, uh, we had three nine, 19 and seven eighths and three casts and won the tournament. You know, so it, 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 we went from zero to hero in a matter of five, 10 minutes. And that was just, you know, it is easy to be in the lead of a tournament and be, be at one o'clock on day two and only have two fish and start to panic. But it, I had the confidence because I knew it was going to work. We just had to get on top of the fish. Once that happened, it was boom, tournament was over within five minutes, you know? So it's just having that confidence. It's the biggest thing. Anything else, you know, I mean, we can deep dive into this some other times, but if, if there's any other fine details that are very important that we left out, um, let me know. Otherwise, I think we can wrap this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we covered most of it. Um, you know, the biggest thing for live scope that I tell people is, you know, just time on the water is the biggest thing. Just going through these, you know, going through these bites, learning these bites, you know, and just time on the water. You know, when people watch me fish, they're like, ah, oh, how did you learn this? Honestly, I just spend so much time sitting there looking at it. I don't, you know, it's funny, my tournament partners get frustrated with me because when they ask how deep of water I'm fishing, blah, blah, like all these little details, I don't, I, honestly, I don't really know because I don't pay attention. I come into a spot, I just go all over it, go off of it, go on top of it, go on the side of it, just look. The graph isn't lying to you. It's telling you what's there, and then just knowing to trust your graph, interpret it, you catch a lot more fish. I love it, man. I think we put a bow on it right there, dude, and... um yeah, head over to Max Wilson Fishing, social medias, find them on YouTube. There's all kinds of good stuff out there. Just great, great, great conversation here, man. And this is a very nuancy thing, and you are most definitely at the forefront of this. 
in the industry um, with just a few other guys that are that are just really dialed in on this as it is right now. And you know, I would dare say, you know, you're one of these guys. Um, you know, there, there's some other guys that you compete against uh, that are, are out here doing this sort of thing on certain specific bodies of water as good as anybody. But I feel like you're definitely one of those guys. I mean, I'm just going to give you some props here. I feel like you're one of these guys that is taking this all over. You're one of the guys that is taking this and you're manipulating it as a strength to, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're catering to each body of water that you go to across the country, wherever there's walleyes that are acting a certain way and you're breaking it down a certain way and you're able to do this in lots of places. I think I think you're probably right up there. If you're if you're not the top guy, you know, you're, you're, there's only a couple of guys that are really able to do this the way you do it everywhere. Um, you know, I think you, there's some examples of guys that are doing it on very specific bodies of water that they spend a lot of time on, but they're not just not taking it everywhere like you are. So I really really appreciate you coming on this show and and talking as in depth as you have about this topic. And it's not the last time. And there will still be a bunch more learning down the road. And then when that's time, we'll do it again, brother. But otherwise, I'll let you back to it, man. Safe travels and good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's always, always good talk with you. And I, I'm glad we can have this conversation without getting kicked out of the uh, Border Patrol office. Oh, like my gosh. Canada. <laughs> yeah, we tried. We tried to have this conversation, but the Border Patrol was just uh, too annoyed too annoyed with the with the walleye conversation and we had kicked out into the into the 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 middle of winter once again this podcast is brought to you by the north dakota game and fish in the 2023 fishing season the state of north dakota is putting on the 2023 sport fish challenge a challenge to catch a multi-species bluegill walleye bass and trout take a picture of each of those species and enter to the game and fish website gf.nd.gov backslash fish hyphen challenge that link is in the description if you didn't catch all that anglers that complete the challenge are going to win a decal and a bunch of bragging rights the decal they can display anywhere that they want to proudly obviously it would look fantastic on tackle boxes coolers water bottles lunchbox and bait bucket anything that uh, people are going to see so that they can brag about it again the link is in the description of this podcast once again, this episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Devil's Lake Tourism. Head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. And you're going to find out everything that the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer before you plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake, North Dakota.